Our scripture reading this morning is Mark chapter 14, verses 14 to 20. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 to 20. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Well, we've just begun a sermon series in Mark's Gospel, and uh, last week we were introduced to a man named John. And John's job was to introduce the world to Jesus Christ. But now in verse 14, we find John in jail. John has been arrested. His job is done, and now Jesus emerges. And for the first time in Mark's gospel, we hear Jesus speak. And he says, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And then he goes for a walk on the beach. He just goes for a walk on the beach. And he sees four men, and he says to them, follow me, and they follow him. Now, I think we need to make something pretty clear here, and that is that the words that Jesus spoke to these men were unique. When Jesus called them to follow him, he was calling them to participate in the laying of the New Testament church. And so in that respect, their calling is utterly unique and unrepeatable. And yet, and yet, in another sense, and in a very real sense, the same words that Jesus spoke to the disciples back then are the same words that he's speaking today. And he's speaking to you, no matter who you are whether you're considering taking your first step towards Christ or whether you've been walking with Jesus for some time now, Jesus is saying to all of you, follow me. I'm not, I'm not sure if there are two words that better capture, summarize what it means to be a Christian than those two words. I think that makes them hugely important for us this morning and and really worth exploring. What does it mean when Jesus calls us to follow him? Well, we're going to see four things this morning. First, we're going to see that his call is a gracious call. His call is gracious. And secondly, his call is costly. And third, his call is powerful. Are you ready? First, his call is gracious. So Jesus is on the move. He's walking alongside the northern sea shore of Galilee. And when he comes to a fishing village called Bethsaida, he sees two brothers, Peter and Andrew. 
and they're casting their net into the sea because they are they're fishermen. And Jesus says, follow me, which they do. They follow him. And the three of them travel down the beach a little bit further where they come to Peter and Andrew's brothers or cousins. And Jesus says the same thing to them, follow me, which they do. Now, to our modern ears, that may not seem strange. The words follow me may not seem strange to us. But in Jesus' day, they would have been very strange, very strange. Because the words follow me triggered the beginning of a relationship between a rabbi and his disciple called a Talmud. What, what Jesus is doing here is he is, call, he is calling these men to be his disciples and that was simply never done. What Jesus is doing here is completely unorthodox. It's completely irregular. A rabbi never chose his disciple in that day. The disciple always chose his rabbi. After years of studying in a, a school, the, 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 the disciple, the Talmud, would approach a rabbi of his choosing. And he would ask if the rabbi would take him on. And if the rabbi was interested, he would put the disciple the Talmud through a series of grueling examinations and test his knowledge of the Tanakh or what we would call the Old Testament scriptures and oral traditions and only the best, only the very best, the cream of the crop were, would ever hear those cherished and coveted words, follow me. What, what Jesus is doing here is completely irregular and unorthodox. It simply was not done. His disciples do not choose him. He chooses his disciples. And when he chooses them, where does he find them? He doesn't find them in the seminary. He doesn't find them in the the local school of theology. No, he finds them in a fishing village. He finds men who had spent their lives on the sea, men whose fingers smelled of tilapia and sardines. And to these men, he says, follow me. And they do. You know, in a very real sense, that is the pattern. That is the pattern. If anyone chooses to follow Christ, it it has to be only because Christ chose and calls that person to follow him. I mean, you, think, you just think of the teaching of Jesus Christ. Why would anyone by nature ever want to follow Jesus Christ? I mean, when you think about what he teaches, when you think about what he demands of his disciples, it, it just bristles against the human heart. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 15. I, I'm coming to bring a kingdom. I'm coming to bring a kingdom. And, and I will be the king in this kingdom. And I will, I will call people into this kingdom by grace. And, and, and you are called to turn from your sin, to repent, and to put your faith in the good news of the gospel, that I am the one. I am the long-awaited one. I am the savior of the world. We as human beings, by nature, do not like that message. We don't want Christ as our king. And we don't want anyone running our lives. We want to be the king of our own lives. 
by nature, we, we, we would never choose to follow him, and by na- we would never continue to follow him. It has to be grace. And his grace can be disruptive. It can, be interrupt- it can interrupt our lives. And I don't think that Jesus <laughs> minds doing that. I mean, look at how we interacted with the disciples. In the midst of their day, while they're mending their nets and cleaning their nets and getting their fish ready for market. He just shows up in the midst of their lives. He comes walking down the beach unannounced, really uninvited. And that is a story for many, many people. Many, many people have that same story where they weren't looking for Jesus, but Jesus came walking down the beach as it were. I know that was my story. I had begun my first semester uh, in my undergrad, and my plan was to become a lawyer and uh, to make all kinds of money. And I, I, thought, uh, <laughs> I thought that's the way it was going to go. I, I was raised in a Christian family, but Jesus was not a, a big priority, let's say, in, in my life. But then in my first semester in my undergrad, I began to ask questions that I'd never asked before, like, who am I? And, and why am I here? And What's my purpose in life? And why am I even asking these questions right now? I never saw him coming. I didn't expect it. Philosophically, I didn't know this at the time, but I was an existentialist. I was committed to the idea of the absurd, you know, um, that life has no meaning, but that we just have to live as though there is meaning. And, And then what happened is the absurd began to become absurd to me. And I never saw that coming. A lot of people in this world have found that. A lot of people who are now followers of Christ have discovered that when Jesus decides to come calling, he just does it whenever he wants, in his own time. For some of us, life is going well, well, ostensibly so. But for others, life is shot sideways. Other, no matter what it is, no matter what your experience has been, the truth of the matter is, that we are all needy people, and we're all people who desperately need the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the truth of the gospel, that Jesus Christ in grace, in love, moves towards us no matter where we are, and he calls us into a relationship with himself. You cannot be in a relationship with Jesus Christ unless he first calls you. We cannot be in a relationship because of anything that we do. We can't earn it. We can't, we can't earn it because of our moral performance record. We can't earn it because of our pedigree or our ethnicity. Nothing, nothing. It is a gift to be received. It is grace. His calling is gracious, but it's more than that. His calling is also costly. You know, I've sometimes heard people describe the disciples as a bunch of backwater hicks who could barely mm, scrape two coins together, just poverty-stricken. I'm not sure about that. The fishing industry in Galilee in that day was a booming business. (laughs) They exported their fish all over the world. And it seems that Peter and Andrew, James and John were partners in a fairly lucrative fishing company. I mean, they owned their own boats, they owned their own gear, they could afford to hire servants. When Jesus called them to follow him, 
He did so, and it, it was at a great cost to these men. Everything they had known, everything that was familiar to them, everything that was predictable and secure and safe, they walked away from. And, and they didn't just leave their nets. They left their family, they left Zebedee standing in the boat. Now, that doesn't really tug at my heartstrings because I happen to be the son of a man who came over here from Dublin and left his family behind. And when I turned 20, he never expected me to become a graphic designer and take over his business. Uh, He expected me to leave my house. And trust me, between you and me, when I was 20, I was ready to go. But that wasn't the culture in the disciples' day. People didn't leave home. They stayed in their hometown. They took over the family business. It was a tight-knit community. And so don't think that the moment that they got out of their boats, that it was all giggles and high fives. It wasn't. Leaving their boats was a huge cost. Following Christ always involves a cost always involves a cost. Now, I'm not suggesting this, moment, this morning based upon our passage that when Jesus says, follow me, he's calling you to necessarily quit your day job and kiss your family goodbye. That's not the point. But the point is this. The point is that when Christ calls a person to follow him, there's always a cost involved. There is always a cost involved. He wants to be at the center of your life. He's not interested in being a major part of your life. He's interested in only being your life. And for your life to rotate and revolve around him every part of your life. Your heart, your relationships, your career, your family, your ethics, your leisure... Your, your hopes and your dreams, Jesus says, I want to be at the center of it all. Of it all. I want to speak to those of you right now who are considering following Jesus Christ. Let me just say to you that I believe that Jesus Christ is here today and he is calling you to follow him. I have no doubt in my mind about that. None. But to follow Jesus Christ, you need to make an informed decision. Because while the Christian life, I believe, is the best life, a life that can start now and never end, a life of knowing and enjoying God's favor and good pleasure forever, I believe that. And yet, and yet, it is not an easy life. It's not an easy life. You can no longer be at the center of your own world. Because Jesus Christ refuses any kind of discipleship where he does not have complete allegiance. He brooks no rivals. He simply refuses to be an add-on in a relationship with him. He refuses any kind of discipleship where we ask him to follow us. And where we can stay in our boats our metaphoric boats. Which is how many people understand the Christian life, I think. We want a savior 
but we don't want a Lord. We want someone who can empathize with us but never challenge us. We want someone to save us from hell and then let us live like it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the the famous German preacher, had a, a term for this. He called it cheap grace. Bonhoeffer preached around the Second World War. He denounced Hitler and the Third Reich, and for that he was in prison, and then later he was sent to a concentration camp where he was murdered just days before its liberation. And Bonhoeffer wrote a very famous book called The Cost of Discipleship. And he defines cheap grace this way. Cheap grace is preaching of forgiveness without repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. And I believe, friends, that there is a lot of cheap grace in our day, and nobody knows that better than me. So the question I want to ask, I need to ask you this morning is this. Is there a boat in your life that you are unwilling to get out of? Is there a boat that you, you're, just, you're staying in because you, you're telling yourself that it will save you? Is there such a boat in your life? And you're unwilling to get out of it to follow Christ. I want to talk to you about that boat for a moment, may I? That boat that you think will save you will one day fail you and betray you, if it hasn't already. They always do. I mean, every boat sinks. The disciples' boat eventually sank. Nothing in this world has any kind of permanence. Nothing in this world has ultimacy. I scattered my brother's ashes over Georgian Bay not one month ago. He was 56. We were supposed to grow old and gray together. I was supposed to have, you know, years of memories. It didn't happen. But you know what? Even if we had grown old and gray together, we still would have been parted. I would have lost him or he would have lost me. Mark Buchanan, the author, says in his book... He says that everything down here has a tragic brevity and a funny aftertaste. It all falls short and shortly falls apart. Better to learn it now. Better to learn it now. But here is the good news. Jesus Christ is not asking you to do anything that he hasn't already done himself. He left his home. He left heaven. And he came here. He became a man. And he took upon himself our humanity. And he paid the greatest cost by giving his life for us. Dying on a cross for our sins. He paid the ultimate cost for you. For you. 
to set you free. To set you free and to set you free from your need to hold on to that gunnel or that mast or whatever that boat is in your life that you think is going to save you and serve it up. He did that to free you and to bring you into life. The most beautiful life. A life that can never end, that can never be taken away. Life that can begin now, continue for absolutely ever. He did that for you. And he did it at a great cost. And you know, some of you this morning know all about the cost of following Jesus Christ. And you know what it has meant for you to follow him. You know what you have had to give up to follow him. You know that. And what would I say to you this morning? I would say this, that Jesus Christ gets it. And he is not asking you to get over it. He understands firsthand what it means to walk that path. He understands the concept of cost. And you are exactly where he wants you to be. And you are nowhere where he has not already walked before for you. But for those of you who want to get out of the boat, maybe you're asking yourself this question this morning. How, how can I get out of this boat? I love my boat. And I have boats. I like, I like my boats. How do I get out of my boat? Well, here's the great thing. Here's the third thing, really, about his calling. It's not just gracious and costly. It's actually incredibly powerful. His calling is powerful. Now, I, I don't know how many words Jesus spoke originally in Aramaic, which is the language that he spoke. My Aramaic is a bit rusty these days. Actually, it's non-existent. Uh, but what I do know in the English translation is just 11 words. He just speaks 11 words. Follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. You spent your lives fishing for fish. From now on, you're going to fish for men and women. You're going to cast a gospel net into the world, and you're going to bring in, by my grace and my power, people right now who are dead in their sins and trespasses. Mark reads as though this was the first interaction with the disciples. It, It reads as though this is the first encounter with Jesus. They hear him say that and they just get out of their boats and follow him. I don't think so. They had already known Jesus for a good long time. But this is the beginning of a a full-time discipleship relationship. But I don't think that takes away from the power that we see here in this passage. Because they still had to get out of their boats. They still had to follow Jesus Christ. That's not an easy thing. The truth is this was not their first meeting. But the power, the power, don't you see, that you see here. A power that would allow a person to get out of their boats and follow Christ. That's a big power. And that power is yours this morning in Christ. And if you're having problems getting out of that boat, start by moving towards Christ. Take that step of faith, which will connect to the power of Christ to take you out of that boat to himself and follow him, which is where you want to go. But the power that we see here in this passage is not just the kind of power that can help us get out of our boats. It's a power where he promises to change our lives. Listen to what he says. Follow me 
and I will make you fishers of men. I will change you. And I will change you so that you're actually able, by my grace, to help people come from death to life. This is really interesting because normally when you pull a fish out of the water, it dies. But this net, Jesus says, this gospel net will bring people from death to life. And Jesus says, here's what I'm doing in your life. Maybe you've asked that question, Lord, what are you doing in my life? Here's what he's doing. He's making you into a fisher of people. He wants you to cast out the net of the gospel wide into this world, wide into our city, and be an agent of change, someone who carries and embodies the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ so that people may come from death to life. In Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, the life, and that no one can come to except by him. Now, you might say to yourself this morning, well, that I find offensive. I find that completely nauseating. I mean, who are you to say that there's only one way? Uh, Would you be willing to consider for a moment that we live in a world with many nets, and everyone's trying to catch you with a net? We just call it marketing. You say that's very funny, but you're saying something very different. You're saying that Jesus Christ is the only way. Yes, that's what Jesus said. But would you be willing to consider the fact that the idea that there are many ways is historically a fairly recent philosophy? It's certainly not universal. And don't you think you owe it to yourself, friend, to explore who this Jesus Christ is, the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me but by the Father. And one who has changed people's lives radically, millions of people for thousands of years. Don't you think you owe it to yourself to consider his claims? Now, some of you this morning who are listening on, who are following Christ at this moment, may be a little concerned. Maybe you're freaking out. Maybe you're worried. How, how, how could I possibly be used by God to catch people in this net of the gospel? I feel very unqualified. I don't know how to do this. Listen, the disciples didn't know either. What Jesus is promising here is I'm going to make you into fishers of men. They weren't ready to catch fish. They had to learn. And that's the way it goes with fishing. Listen, you can put a lure on a hook and throw it in the water and catch a fish. That's not hard. But to be a successful fisherman, you have to understand fish. You have to understand currents and temperature and structure. You've got to know it if you want to be successful. And here's the promise. This is the great promise. For those who follow Christ, Christ will change you. And transform you by his power so that more and more his life is seen. And people are attracted to Christ. And that's the thing. It's got to be Christ. And it will be Christ they're attracted to because it is his power in you and through you. Now, you're asking me, well, how do I even begin? How do I start? I want to be used by God to carry and embody the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to this world. How do I even begin where I am? And, well, here, try this. Think about somebody you know. Somebody right now who is not following Christ, and pray for that person. Pray for that person. 
And then do this. Care for them. Do something practical for them. We're living in a time of COVID. It's not easy. It's not easy. But think, how can I care for this person? How can I show the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, his loving care to this person? I talked with a person this week who said, I think everyone should have a Christian in their life. I agree. Maybe you could be that person for somebody. Start there. Pray and care for somebody. And who knows, by God's grace, in time, they may ask questions. Why are you the way that you are? People are coming to faith in our, t- in our time. They're coming to faith in COVID. And I believe that in a year's time, we are going to hear stories of people who came to the Lord, who came to faith in Jesus Christ, and they came through people just like you. Because the promise that Jesus is making here is that he is going to make you into a fisher of people. What a power. What a powerful call. What a call. What a gracious call. What a call that costs, but what a call that is powerful. This is the call of Christ. And he is calling you this morning. He is saying to all of you, follow me. Follow me. Let's follow him. Amen. Dear Father, we pray this morning that you would help each of us to respond to that call. Whether for the first time or for the 1,000th time. I pray for those who are listening on this morning, Lord, who are really questioning and working and wrestling through what it means to follow you. And I pray this morning, Father, that today will be the day of salvation for them, that they will turn from their sin and put their faith in you for their everlasting salvation. And Father, begin a journey where they learn to cast the net that you are We pray we'll catch them in this morning by your grace and love. And what a grace and love it is. We pray for those this morning who are aching because of the cost that they have endured for following you. Lord, comfort them this morning and give them the hope to believe that they are where you want them. That you are doing a powerful work in their lives and you are changing them. Change us, Father. By the power of your call, change us to be a community that can't hold back the gospel, but let it loose and let it see the good things that we pray you will do with it. As we see many in our day coming to faith in Jesus Christ, do that, we pray, and do it for your sake and glory, we pray. Amen.